The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. It's a Thursday here on the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network, and of course, that means it's time to get riled up on the Cowboys with my man Tom Ryle and your boy Roy White at RW3 on Twitter. You can follow him at Tom Ryle BTB. And of course, you know, normally we do this podcast every week to kind of get you set. We all know the draft is coming, and we want to do something a little bit different. And in that regard, um, we have brought on a very special guest for you. And uh, this individual, you may know on Twitter, you may not know. If you don't know him yet, make sure you give him a follow at PFF underscore Moo is where you can find him. Um, I am talking about uh, data analyst Timu Riska. And the reason I am butchering the pronunciation of the la- that last name is because he is currently joining us from Germany right now. So Timu, if it's okay, um, introduce yourself to our audience. You know, PFF has your biography written as um, a data analyst who lives in Germany. So expound on that and tell us kind of, you know, what got you interested in, in football? Because I think as my listeners are going to find your insight and the things that you're doing with the data that's available, I really believe is cutting edge. And I think if more teams employed it, they would find themselves with a real advantage going into this draft in 2022. Yeah. Hi, thanks for having me on. So yeah, I, I joined PFF in, in 2019. Um, I'm, I'm full-time, full-time data scientist for PFF since 2020. Um, and yeah, so so yeah, I'm from Germany, as you said, and I, I, I started watching football like uh, you know, 12 years ago at, at this point. So basically watched the Super Bowl with, with friends um, and then obviously became more, much more interested than, than just watching Super Bowl and um, yeah, follow, follow uh, yeah, I'm basically following it really, um, uh, really intensely uh, since like 2012, 2013 or so. And um, yeah, then landed, landed with PFF in 2019. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by what people like PFF are doing with the uh, the results oriented analysis or what we call analytics so much that you look below the surface beyond the conventional wisdom and with a hidebound coaching community like exists or existed in the NFL ten years ago, make you know saying that. What coaches think they know is not really what they know. 
And it's, it's fascinating to see the things that you dig up. And with the draft coming up, it was really interested to see the articles that you did about the positional value of draft picks and how the rookie pay scale has really created a, uh, an economic inefficiency uh, that some teams may not be properly utilizing and how other teams may have kind of gotten into the right mindset about this stuff. So uh, it was fascinating to read the articles that Roy had. I got some notes and stuff that hopefully we'll be able to get into some of. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your insights. Yeah. I mean, can I kind of summarize what I think is a perfect example of what we're talking about? Um, A lot of people, especially recently, it's become real popular in the NFL. The idea that like, Hey, you shouldn't pay the great quarterback or even the mediocre quarterback big time money. Instead, you should just roll the dice in the draft because if you ever hit in the draft on a quarterback, the value of that player is going to far exceed kind of anything else. And I think before kind of what you put on paper a couple of weeks ago and really in years past, because I know you've been doing this positional look for a couple of years now, um, it was really interesting to me to find that like, yes, you can put it actually into a number as to how valuable a quarterback may be that's drafted, say in the fourth round, like a Dak Prescott and how valuable that can be in the time that he is a rookie, you know, similarly, it can also show how not valuable using a top pick on a running back might be, even if he's an all world caliber running back. So you know, what do you set out to find when you do the studies that you've looked into from a surplus positional standpoint? What are you looking to achieve? Is it basically aiming at conventional wisdom and and trying to challenge that first and foremost? Yeah, basically, I wanted to to look at positional value like um, like the league is doing it. That's why I, I looked at salary. So basically, the teams, the GMs, um, um, are paying are paying um, yeah this much uh, money to to different positions and so they, they tell us how valuable they think positions are obviously like, like obviously apart from quarterbacks GMs or NFL teams obviously think that the edge rusher is the, is the most valuable position and then like tight end running back centers are like the the least valuable positions apart from special teams of course um yeah so I, I wanted to use that 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 as a baseline so basically um that i that I, yeah so basically I, I didn't want to want to use a, a measurement of positional value which which comes with uncertainty um because like obviously we we have some stuff like pff war where we give values to players but obviously this this comes with with un- uncertainty so we, we can't be sure whether whether that's like really the um really the, the on-field value of, of a player is, is really given by by his by his PFF war number. But the fact that um that like Tyreek Hill signed for I don't know 27 million or so um um this this um this offseason and I think uh, Marcus Williams signed with the Ravens for only I think it was 14 million per year. So basically almost um yeah only only a half the the contract so and yeah this is of this is of course a fact and um start, starting from this um yeah i wanted to analyze um which which positions um, um give give the most surplus value in in the draft because of the difference between um, what they are expected to 
what they're expected to perform on the field based on their based on their draft position and what what they are paid by the by the rookie wage scale which is of course much uh, much less than 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 veterans so basically i i computed the difference between what what would this player cost if you if you um, would have to buy him in free agency um uh, and um what does he actually cost because of the rookie wage scale the, the difference is of course the the surplus value which is basically the the, the value of the value of the traffic and i think the best example like of the of the importance of the, of the rookie base get especially for quarterbacks is like in your your own division rival like the the, the eagles with, with carson Wentz. like he, he's by no means a great quarterback but the eagles managed to um, make him look great for like one or two years because they surrounded him with, with such a good team and then he looked really great for two years they, they even won a super bowl i mean obviously nick Foles won the super bowl in the playoffs but you obviously carson Wentz obviously got them to this to this one seat to 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 win the super bowl um yeah, and then then actually, um, yeah, after he got paid and and the team got a little bit worse around him, and then suddenly um, we realized, oh, Casamance isn't that good. He, he was just he was just uh, on a great on a great roster. It's like yeah. yeah, one of the one of the best recent examples, I guess. And I yeah. mean, Jared Goff is of, of course a very very similar example. Yeah, you that is that is near and dear to the hearts of Cowboys fans because we we were caught in that three way argument about the the draft class of 2016 with Dak Prescott, Wentz, and Goff. And, you know, we feel like the Cowboys won that huge because not only did they get their franchise quarterback, they got him in the fourth round with a supplemental pick. But there was one one thing that came out that really – that I thought was something that a lot of people don't realize. You talk about a thing called the loser's curve about how the the good positional value doesn't really start hitting until about the 10th pick or so. I yeah, thought the, go, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead and kind yeah. of explain a little bit how that really penalizes the teams that are at the very top of the draft because they have such a bad record. Yeah, it's 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 crazy because the, the rookie wage scale is 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 built in a in a way that the first few picks um Get get much more money than um, like than the tenth or twelfth pick. So um, let me let me currently check like the let me check the numbers. Here. So basically, that the first pick gets like a forty million dollar contract for four years um, this year, and the um, so so basically the the tenth pick only gets I don't know something like like half of that. So, 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 so the risk is higher. The, the rookie wage scale is very steep for the first for the first ten picks. The rookie wage scale is, is very steep, and then it's it's and then it's it's more flat going into this. I mean, starting with the second round, it's it's basically it's it's very flat. So only the really only the first five six draft picks get get a lot of money on their on their rookie um, contract. With yeah, with just right um, these these bad teams with these very high picks pay much more money to their to their rookies and. And the, the difference in, in value in, in on-field value between between a player picked like third overall or tenth overall is not that huge. Like, yeah, the, the chance that that the player picked tenth overall is actually better than the player that picked third overall is like not that small. It's like a little bit smaller than fifty percent, like obviously, but it's 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 not that that small. But the difference it costs is kind of kind of huge, which is why the financially the the twelfth pick. Is actually like expected to be more valuable than than the third pick, like un- unless there's there's a good quarterback to um, 
to 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 be had. Um, but yeah, but obviously that's that's not really the case this year. So the first pick has to pro is probably spent on edge rusher this year, um, and then he will yeah he will cost ten million per year, which is if he's a good edge rusher still very good. But of course, it's it's still ten million per year, while while the tenth tenth overall pick will cost only probably like something like five million per year, which is of course a huge difference. And that's, I mean, again, that's one of the brilliant things about it. We're, we're talking about, of course, with a data analyst, uh, PFF underscore Moo on Twitter, as hopefully some of you know him by now. Um, one of the best data, data analysts out there that's looking at the NFL, looking at the draft and kind of finding ways that I, I feel like enabling the public, at least me, to identify like, hey, this is where the Cowboys from a draft standpoint could really attack the draft. And, and here's the data to prove it. And I think a lot of that, you know, you put together a lot of graphs and that's another thing I would ask about at some point, although not, you know, maybe privately is how you come up with all these drafts and all these graphs, because that technology, man, is incredible, <laughs> but it makes it so easy for the eye to see. And, and one of those is kind of the curve that you show that illustrates the average number of players selected at a particular position in the draft over the last like six years. And it compares it to a number of other looks that you've given, for example, the consensus big board that's being used by the public and being used by folks in mock drafts, as well as PFF's big board, the players that they expect to get drafted here in the 2022 draft. And it's really fascinating to see these graphs broken down by position because you can actually see the positions in which, Hey, if you need this spot, this is a great draft to need that position. So, you know, obviously we're always looking at it from a Cowboys lens here on the blogging, the boys podcast network, the positions that they seem to need kind of correlate to what is available in this draft. What do you think are the positions that, you know, or what does the data tell you are the positions that are going to be the most valuable if you need them in this year's draft? Um, so, yeah, so so this year is a, is a very strong class for um, for edge rushers and for for offensive tackles, which is which is interesting because this is these are just like the the, the positions that go against each other on the field. So <laughs> we might get we might get some some good. Um, Good pass rush and pass block uh, duels over, over the next uh, over the next few years between young edge rushers and young offensive tackles. And this this kind of uh, I think I think the Cowboys could could need an offensive tackle, obviously. Um, and an edge rusher. So, uh, yeah, and an edge rusher. I mean, I mean, yeah. So so yeah, they got obviously they got Micah Parsons last year, which is kind of which is kind of funny because it, it speaks to to um, what I found. So so edge rushers are of course. Um, Apart from quarterbacks, the, the the most expensive, the most expensive position. So they also have the the most surplus value. So they have the most surplus value of all non-quarterback positions. So basically, drafting a drafting a linebacker at twelve overall, like they did with Parsons, and then he's actually a good, very good edge rusher. Was like the best thing that could have happened to the Cowboys <laughs> because you basically think you draft a linebacker and then you got a much more valuable position <laughs> because yeah. So this was actually. Uh, you are making fast friends in Dallas with all the things you're saying between Carson, <laughs> between the Micah Parsons pick. But I also, you know, I think the easiest example that you gave was one that included another division rivals pick in Saquon Barkley and the comparison you made between taking Saquon where they did and getting a guy like TJ Watt where the Steelers did. 
and you know the combination of the draft pick and the position and what you had to pay him, what you explained earlier, plus the positional value, you basically concluded that Saquon Barkley was a pick that was basically worth nothing, and TJ yeah. Watt was a pick <laughs> that was worth twenty-two million in surplus dollars. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 It's. Uh... I was, you know, looking at the charts for how the uh, talent looks this year. It, it's it's interesting because one of the big questions we have is about guard, interior offensive line, about the Cowboys have a huge need. And it's, it's like a great situation for the Cowboys because there's a cluster of players around their pick at 24, but – then there's another cluster when they come up in the second round as well. So they're actually sitting where they can, they don't, they're not locked in in the first round, but they could profit there because if they were looking at edge rusher as the other option, it's the same way. There's because the edge rusher class is so deep and there's actually more candidates at edge rusher so it's it's kind of it's going to be interesting to see how that tracks out and uh uh another thing that came up is that looking at it if there's not a run on wide receivers where they're getting overdrafted the cowboys are probably better off waiting until the third round or so to get their wide receiver does that seem to be what you're seeing in the uh the the way it looks this year yeah, it looks like there are a, a lot of day day two receivers this year, which is kind of, which seems like the new norm. Like in, in the last, I don't know, in the last three or four draft, there always seemed to be a lot of wide receivers on day two. Um, yeah, which is which which seems to be uh, kind of the the, the sweet spot for um, for them right now. So um, yeah, so so this this might make might make sense. Um, wait wait uh, wait until day two. To, to get to to get a wide receiver, I mean, unless um, someone someone falls to them in round run like like CD Lamb did um, two two years ago. Like this is of course something that you you can't pass on if a player like this falls to you in round run. But but if this is not the case, then I think it makes a lot of sense to to raise for a day two to to select a to select a wide receiver. Are there any position groups? And of course, we're talking to PFF underscore Moo, who you can find on Twitter. Great follow and uh, even better data analyst working with uh, Pro Football Focus. If you haven't heard of them, pretty much revolutionizing the way we're kind of looking and analyzing data within the NFL these days. Um, you know, I'm curious as to when you look at it. First of all, do you do you have a favorite team? Um, yeah, so I. Um... I'm rooting for the Bucks, and um, I'm also rooting for the for the Chargers a bit. So I kind of, I kind of, uh, the Chargers have kind of grown on me on the, over the last two years. So they're kind of my my AFC alternative because obviously, like, yeah, you can basically root for an NFC team for an AFC team because they hardly play against each other. So and yeah, also the yeah. playoffs are completely completely separated until the Super Bowl. So kind of rooting for for those two teams. Well, good. Well, I'm glad you're a, you're a fan of it, and it's not just something you're you're working on. It sounds like it's a labor of love as to how you got into this thing. Um, Definitely, yeah. As you're looking at the draft, then, and kind of how it lays out, 
do you see a particular position that you say I would attack over and over and over because the value there is just so good that even if I didn't have a need, I would know that I'm going to take a player at, at this type of position? Um, I mean, I, I think um, the, the idea, I mean, which is, which is something the, the, the Bucks actually did um, over the last, I mean, 2018 and 2019, and which was really uh, um, worked really well for them is like um, picking a lot of defensive backs on day two, like the second round, third round, maybe maybe also fourth round, um, because like yeah, because obviously you 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 always need a lot of a lot of coverage players, and like if you have like obviously if you, if, if there's one bad cornerback spot on your team and he has to play, then that's bad because the quarterback can just pick him apart over and over again, no matter how 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 good your other cornerbacks are playing, um, which is of course what we kind of um, differentiate it from from edge rushers. Because like if you have if you have one one really good edge rusher, then he can he can impact the game, and even even if the other edge rusher is not that good. Um, but but yeah, but for defensive backs, you need a lot of um, a lot of players who can cover, and um, obviously they they also get hurt, and um, they they are kind of yeah they are. They are very volatile, so it, it, it sometimes happens that that a defensive back who who um, is, is usually good has just just has a bad season or so. So I th yeah, I don't think you can you cannot here have enough um, defensive backs. So so using these using these day two uh, fourth round picks for 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 a lot of defensive backs is something um, which I think is a, is usually a good good strategy. I, one of the things the Cowboys are, are expected to be in the market for is tight end because the the belief is that they're going to probably move on from Dalton Schultz after he plays out the tag. And I was looking at it, and the Cowboys have four fifth-round picks. And looking at the charts, it looks like that's where they could get their tight end. Uh, is that there's a whole bunch – there's not any tight, really elite tight ends this year, and it's not a good position to go early for. So it looks like they got to use a fifth-round pick or possibly trade a couple of them to get into the fourth round might be the best way to go for that based on the way the class is stacking up this year. Yes, yeah, as it's currently looking like they're – I mean, they will, like, they will most likely not be a first-round tight end this year. And um, yeah, yeah, the first tight end pick might be some at some point in the fifties or even sixties. Um, we will see. But yeah, there there, there might be a, a little run on, on tight ends um, around the hundredth pick or so. And so yeah, early early fourth round um, is is probably is probably the way the way to go um, for 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 tight ends this year. So this is definitely definitely on the table for the Cowboys. I think if they if they want to move on from from Dalton Schultz. We're talking a lot about the draft, of course, but there was one thing that Tom and I definitely wanted to get your take on from just a team building standpoint, because it's a it's a point of emphasis that gets talked about ad nauseum here around the Dallas Cowboys. And that is the decision making that gets made in the front office. Now, they argue all the time and, and kind of the 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 line that they feed us is that, hey, we we can't afford to pay outside players big money the cap's a real thing and they tend to argue that you know the draft is where they can find their value to fill their holes 
But by and large, the Cowboys have found themselves year after year finding substantial holes that were not filled and perhaps could have been filled on the free agent market. So when you step back and look at the, the way that the Cowboys do business, do you think they do business the right way and they just haven't gotten the right result? Or do you think they could maybe loosen the purse strings a little bit and, you know, start to find values that are out there? Because in the last 10 years, only two players have been signed outside of the organization for more than six and a half million dollars per year. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the, like the, the Cowboys have like two, uh, two major problems um, with which kind of which which probably cost them a Murray Cooper this year like this is the 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 Zeke Elliott contract obviously which um, which hurts them a bit now <laughs> um, because they, they they yeah they they can't get out of it and but yeah he, yeah he just makes makes a lot of money which 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 was missing for for, for Cooper obviously and yeah and obviously they they signed Dak um too too late probably so they yeah they, they could have saved uh, they could have saved some money on Dak if they if they signed um, yeah, they signed that's a bit confirmed so, from a data scientist. Okay, so <laughs> you don't have to feel bad saying that anymore. That is proof in the pudding from someone who's actually examined the numbers. Yeah, we yeah, we've and the, these two these two problems kind of add up to yeah to to the fact that they they couldn't hold Cooper and they, yeah they they didn't get a lot of trade value back for him because like every team was knowing okay the, the Cowboys can't afford to pay Cooper they they will probably yeah they might release him if, if they don't trade him so they yeah obviously didn't get didn't get a lot of trade value so yeah this was definitely uh, a, a problem for them um, but other than that I think they they attacked the draft fairly well in the last uh, in, in in recent years so yeah obviously the 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 the, the the Seagull pick was obviously it hurts um, so bad. It was obviously not good, but yeah, but this is yeah, but this is six years ago. So um, yeah, Jane Ramsey might have been the better pick at, at this point, but um, yeah, yeah, but that's that's yet six years ago. But I think in, in in recent in recent years they they attacked the draft fairly well. I think so. Yeah, it was interesting because your uh, the the third of the articles that that Roy shared with me that we we wanted that led us to want to talk to you looks at the history of, of how teams have drafted since 2016, which uh, you use as a cutoff because drafting philosophies kind of changed around that time. And it, it actually makes the Cowboys look pretty good because when you looked at how teams had done by your standards of, of, uh, getting value for their draft picks. The Cowboys actually have done fairly well with wide receiver, offensive line, running back, tight end, and defensive back. Linebacker, you said, was a small sample size, but they were still above average. Defensive line is the only one that they really haven't done so great. Uh, So it seems like some of the things that you advocate fit in with what the Cowboys are doing. So they seem to be drafting certainly above average when you look at, at the league as a whole. Uh, and it's, it's almost like Stephen Jones is 
doing some of the things that you're looking at, particularly in his focus on the cap space impact of things, because I was a little surprised to see that there was a, a statistical justification for using cap space to help inform your draft moves. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, so, um, yeah, I think the, the, the Cowboys are doing a, doing a fine job, like, like especially like in, in 2020, um, yeah, they, they just, they just sat there and then, then they, uh, they, they, yeah, I mean, obviously CD Land fell to them, they, they, they picked him, so they, yeah, so they, they, I mean, obviously this was kind of the, maybe the obvious pick, but, but yeah, but it's, it's still something you, you, you have to do. Um, if, if such a player um, falls to human wide receiver as a valuable position, like yeah, they Devonta Adams, Tyree Gill just just signed signed really really large contract, and um, so this this made a lot made a lot of sense. And um, I think in, in the second round they they also drafted like they, I think they drafted Trevor Diggs in the second round, right in twenty twenty, which is also a valuable position. And um, yeah, which I just said, uh, defensive backs um, always makes sense. Um, so yeah, I think um, yeah they are they actually doing a doing a, doing a fine job. So it'll be interesting to see how this how this shakes out this year. Well, we'll try not to keep you for too much longer, Moo, because we are on a little bit of a time difference. There's a seven hour difference from where Tom and I are broadcasting and where Timu is broadcasting from over there in Germany. So thank you so much again for carving out the time to. To, to look at this with us and give our listenership your insight. Cause again, I think a lot of it is stuff that uh, is going to be fairly mainstream. I don't know. I'm curious, you know, how many people have reached out to you and have there been any teams that have reached out to you that have said, Hey, like the stuff you're doing, uh, we would really like to be able to utilize a little bit more of that. Can you help us? Uh, yeah. The I mean, teams, teams have reached out and um, I mean, obviously they, um, um they are also um, like many teams are in um already in fairly, re service. fairly regular contact with, with with other people from from our company maybe not directly with me but with, with other um people from our company so yeah but but i'm yeah i'm, I'm not, not sure i can can talk about which teams no sure no that's <laughs> so, okay well i mean if you want to confirm that the cowboys are that would make me feel a lot better but it's okay uh i got some people that i can get this information into the hands of and they can hopefully uh you know get it where it needs to be if you could then give the average team advice for this year's draft right not knowing what their needs are but just a general like philosophy is there anything that you would say to them you know, to be mindful of, especially if it goes against conventional wisdom when it comes to the draft. I think one thing which which is um, interesting this year is like the, the the teams at the very top. Obviously, I think it's it's not a good draft to to um, to draft at the very top. Obviously, because there are there are no quarterbacks, so there will probably um, be no like like if the yeah if, if there would be a good quarterback for for the number uh, for the first overall pick like the uh, Jacksonville they, they could get a haul in, in a trade right they, they could get I don't know, three first rounders like the like the 49ers paid for Trey Lance last year three first rounders they, the team will pay this to, to to Jacksonville in 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 no time if there would be a good quarterback but there's not so um it's yeah it's not a good not a good time to to draft at the very top so so one thing that that, that could be interesting this year is um 
actually like um, the, the, these teams might want to try uh, to trade down, but obviously there there will there will be no good offers to to like yeah I don't think that that, that the team would, would want to um, would want to trade up to one two or three, so so maybe um, it, it might make sense for for these teams to actually take offers that are um, like maybe a little bit lower than than usual. Um, because obviously there, there is no there's no good quarterback to trade up for, um, but which would still be a value according to um, according to uh, like um, my analysis or according to other analysis that um, yeah even like even if you if you make a trade which by the by the old Jimmy Johnson chart you you might lose, um, but but if you if you trade down um, you you would still actually probably win the trade by by modern um, draft charts, which 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 look at the actual value of, of draft picks and not at the like the Jimmy Johnson chart is basically a market um, a market price for, for for draft picks, but not um, but don't don't reflect the actual value that that um, these picks these picks have, which what is which is use? this this might be a good approach for these teams um, to to actually. Um, move down for 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 a lesser offer because there will be no no high offers this year most likely. It sounds like you're saying that uh, at it might be a good approach to trade back if you can accumulate those day two picks or some right. fourth round picks. Yeah, yeah, this, this, yeah. This is this is uh, usually usually a, a good idea. Um, I think especially like day two picks is, is something I, I really like. So I, I really like stacking, stacking up day two picks. Like this is, this is yeah. Like like first round picks are, are good and, and and fine, but you sometimes like day two is sometimes where where the drafts will be won. Like like if the team has four day two picks and like you only need two of them to actually become good players, and, and then it, then it's a good draft class for you. Well, Timu. Man, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your uh, schedule to join us. Uh, we'll love to maybe get you on after the draft just to get your thoughts on what the Cowboys did take and and how they performed based on the way that you've looked at things. But I want to say thank you so much for spending your evening with us, and uh, and we'll talk to you soon, man. I'd love to be in touch with you and you know shoot a couple thoughts your way. If uh, my thoughts are not quite going to be on the level of what you've got going um i was joking with tom that i kind of was able to deduce that your name might be pronounced timu based on your pff handle and he thought that was pretty astute on my part but that's about as far as the analytics of my brain is capable of thanks thanks for having me on this was fun Hey man, we'll do it again, but uh, for real, keep uh, keep yes. keep doing what you do. He does great work on PFF. If you're not uh, if you're not paying for the paywall, well, hey, uh, I'll try to summarize it for you as best I can on the other side because I will be uh, just for what this man is doing on that side and looking at data data analytics. So, Timu, thank you so much, sir. Have a great rest of your evening. Have a good day. Thanks. Appreciate Bye. it, brother. Tom, man. That was cool. That was really cool. Um, yep. I look forward to our listeners getting to see, hear some of that again, follow him at PFF underscore moo. You can check out his fine work. If you're uh, interested in the paywall, if not, like I said, I'll filter the stuff to Tom and he can uh, probably summarize it for you a little bit better than I can on Twitter either way. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll try to have something up uh, delving a little bit more into what his conclusions were and what we can learn from this stuff for those that don't have access to it. And, and like I said, I just love getting someone on who has a different view, uh, especially something where a lot of their things are based, they're looking at history and that's why they they feel confident this because they go back and look at players that kind of fit in their models. Things are, you know, uh, like the running back case. Running backs just are not paying off. Uh, you know, you want to draft your running backs on day three. You're probably better off with, uh, you know, especially this year with, with like safety and tight end going for day three. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Cowboys do with their later picks as well as their early picks. And as I've mentioned, it would be it would be really nice if the Cowboys could trade back a little bit in the first and pick up an extra premium pick and still get their guy. So, hey, it's close. It's coming soon. We're going to find out in not too many days. Hey, just uh, a week away from when this podcast is released. We will be having the NFL draft. And of course, you can follow all the coverage, blogging the boys, YouTube page, RJ Ochoa going to be anchoring things. Tom and myself will both be making appearances during our three and a half, four hour broadcast. I believe we get going at seven o'clock for RJ Ochoa's uh, stake. And I don't know what he'll be urinating in. So tune in just to find out the answer to that question. As uh, RJ is an absolute beast. He will not slow down, and you will be getting hard-hitting Cowboys coverage all throughout the draft there on the YouTube page. So, Tom, thanks again, man. Uh, thank you again. Shout-out to PFF Moo for joining us and uh, taking the time there in Germany to uh, give you some insight. For Tom, at Tom Ryle, BTB on Twitter, I'm Roy at RW3. And, of course, stay riled up on the Cowboys. We'll see you next week. Draft time. Draft time.